Well, good morning again. It's good to see you on this Labor Day weekend. Did anybody else have the chance to miss as many dove as I did this weekend? I won't tell you how many. I won't tell you how many. I'll never tell you how many. We're gonna be in Exodus chapter one, getting started here. We, we are in week two of our 15-year journey through the book of Exodus I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Now we are gonna continue in Exodus this morning and uh, just real quick so we can get into it. Last week, uh, we got into one of the main themes. It's gonna carry us uh, from Exodus chapter one really uh, all the way through chapter 17. It's the theme of names. And more specifically, we talked about last week how the theme of Exodus 1 through 17 is really about the name. It's about Yahweh. And the thing that happens is one of these climactic points in the book of Exodus is when Yahweh reveals his name alongside what he does, alongside this redemptive act to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt is the context in which God reveals his personal name. He's placing a stamp on his character. This is who I am and this is how I will be defined uh, to my people for generations to come. That was last week. And so we're gonna get a little bit more into names uh, this week. But before we do, I've gotta tell you a story and I'm gonna tell you right off the bat, this is a story that I am not proud of, but I think that hearing this story might get us into a little of the, the context of what we are going to cover today. The, uh, the setting is in Midland, Texas, so in the desert with seventh grade Kindle at Goddard Junior High. Anybody been there before? I said landmark, historical landmark, but uh, Goddard Junior High. We had this little courtyard after school was over and we would all uh, gather in this little courtyard area and it was kind of the parent uh, pickup line. And on this uh, warm spring day, we had finished athletics and we were all waiting in the courtyard, gathered around waiting for parents to uh, pick us up. And this friend of mine, uh, his name is, is Lee. I won't tell you his last name because I'm gonna tell you something we did that wasn't very good. Uh, but, uh, but Lee and I were standing together waiting for our ride. We were not very cool. And so we were just he and I, just us standing uh, together. We had a friend named Zach that was a lot cooler than we were. Uh, and he was with a larger group and he had a girlfriend, which was like, made him way cooler. And uh, so he was off somewhere else. Well, out of nowhere pops up this guy named Luke. Now Luke was an eighth grader and Luke was an eighth grader that was known for not being kind to seventh graders. And so we were terrified, if I'm being honest, we were terrified of Luke, we were terrified of, of what he might do that would embarrass us in whatever situation we were in. And so here comes Luke. And Luke arrives uh, to Lee and I and we're terrified. What's about to happen? In what way is he about to try to humiliate us? And he says these words. He says, hey, what would you guys think if I went and messed with Zach, if I went and embarrassed Zach uh, over there with his girlfriend? And totally relieved and still terrified, we thought this is great. This is great because he won't mess with us. So we'll just send him to Zach. And so in a moment of not really thinking, we said, yeah, 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 go do that. It was an act of fear and it was an act of self-preservation. And so he goes over and he humiliates Zach in front of all of these people. And I remember and can, I can take you to the spot where it happened because I will never forget that awful, awful, awful feeling deep within my gut because I knew what I'd done. 
I knew that my fear in that moment, that my cowardice in that moment caused me to step back and allow a friend to get run over. This was a guy I loved, this was a guy I cared for, and in a moment of fear, I stepped out of the way and let Luke do whatever it was that he was gonna do. I had a moment there where I could have done something about it. There was, there was a moment there for me, but in fear and cowardice, I stepped away. It was devastating. It took a long time for our friendship to recover because of course, when Luke got in trouble, what did he say? Well, they told me to do it. Points right at us and the rest is history. It took a while to recover. But the point is, that in an act of fear and self-preservation, I caved to power. And the story that we're gonna read in Exodus chapter one is a story about a group of women who do the opposite. It's a story about a group of women who do the opposite that I did and they confront unjust power and intimidation by walking in the fear of the Lord. That's what we're gonna talk about in this chapter this morning. But in order to get there, we've got to introduce this new character that get in, gets introduced with us uh, here in verse eight. This is a, a new king that arises over Egypt and who did not know Joseph. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Pharaoh. Now this is important because Pharaoh is a new king. And it says specifically that he did not know Joseph. Well, why does that matter? Because the previous Pharaoh knew Joseph. And because his knowledge and, and, uh, and relationship with Joseph, it actually was a huge benefit to the Egyptians. Remember, Joseph rises to prominence in Egypt and he preserves the Egyptians and the Israelites in the midst of a famine. And so there was huge wisdom with the previous Pharaoh who recognized Joseph's gifts and allowed for him to thrive and made a space for God's people to thrive in that context. But it says here that this Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. And so we're gonna start down a road of getting to know this Pharaoh. Now, it's kind of interesting. Pharaoh is actually not his name. We, I, I think as a kid growing up, I, reading this story, I just thought Pharaoh was his name, but Pharaoh is actually a title. It's a title that means ruler or, or king. And oftentimes, when, if you were gonna refer to a specific Pharaoh, you would use their name right after the title Pharaoh. So a famous Pharaoh, anybody ever heard of Ramses? Okay, you've heard the name. So the way that you would refer to Ramses is Pharaoh Ramses. You wouldn't just say Pharaoh. You wouldn't just say Ramses. You would use the, uh, you would use the title, much like we would say today, who is our president? We might say President Biden. We're using a title and we're using a name and this is the way that it would have worked. But watch what happens. Watch what happens uh, in, uh, in Exodus. I want you to see if you notice a name or if there's only a title. And what you'll find is if you search the book of Exodus, you're not ever going to find a name. You're only going to find a title. So there was an intentional, and it was not because this name of this Pharaoh was not known. What might be being said, what might be being communicated to us by intentionally leaving the name of Pharaoh in the context of who is gonna have the name, 
leaving the name of Pharaoh completely out. Anyway, it's an interesting, interesting note. But notice the way that Pharaoh feels. It says that, that he is nervous. He says in verse nine, the people of Israel are too many and they are too mighty for us. He says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. That's verse nine and 10. And so in Pharaoh's pride and in his fear, it seems to be that his concern is that if we continue to treat the Israelites the way that we're treating them, if there continues to be harsh treatment, then if a war were to arise, then they are gonna turn on us and we can't have that happen. So instead of seeing their presence as a blessing, which is what the previous Pharaoh did, he sees them and becomes afraid. Pharaoh sees them and becomes afraid. In his pride and in his fear, he acts in a harsh way. Now, I think this is really interesting, really interesting in terms of a commentary on nation building. And I don't just mean in our present moment. I think if you just think back into history of humanity and nation building, this is an interesting combination that's being pointed out in scripture. Think about how many conflicts throughout human history have this exact same pattern. There is a fear of the whatever the other is. I'm afraid of what is not me. So there's a fear of the other that gets mixed in with a desire for power and a desire for control. Now, if we were to simplify conflict throughout human history, how many moments would come back to those three things? A fear of the other mixed with a desire for power and a desire for control. It's interesting that here, and I think you would find this, again, surveying human history, here that combination leads to oppression. What's he going to do? Because he wants power and he wants control and he's afraid of them, what is the answer? He says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Oppress, push down further these Israelites. Now he says, let us deal shrewdly with them. And so he is gonna, he's gonna ask for heavy burdens to be laid on the Israelites. Now remember from last week, remember back all the way into verse seven, where the people of Israel are described and they're described in chapter one of verse seven, it says that they were fruitful, that they increased greatly, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Remember, that was a link back to what chapter? Genesis chapter, okay, no, come on, Genesis chapter one. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, what's missing, we're close, we're close. Some of you are gonna go back and, and listen to the previous sermon because we need to brush up a little bit on that, it seems. Yeah, all right, maybe I'm joking. All right. The thing that is missing when God gives Adam and Eve the command, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now everything gets listed except for one thing. Everything here in Exodus is there from Genesis except for one thing. And what is it? It's that last one. It's the command to subdue. The only thing that the Israelites are not doing is subduing. They, as God's people, what they're designed to do is steward the earth and to subdue it, to steward it in light of being God's people. But subdue is 
not there. Instead, what's happening? They are the ones that are being subdued. Do you see it? Instead of them being the ones that are stewarding the earth, stewarding creation, they're being the ones with the heavy hand, with the burden laid down on them. So this is another piece. And what you should be gathering is there's conflict coming. There's things that are out of whack. This Pharaoh, this system is set itself against God's design and God's people. Hang on just a second. So he says in verse 10, come let us deal shrewdly with them. Now this is, this is fascinating. That phrase, come let us, is the same phrase that shows up in Genesis chapter 11. Now I'm not gonna quiz you because we were a bit rusty last time, but in Genesis chapter 11, we know what happens. It's the tower of, oh, very good. Okay, we're back, we're back. It's the Tower of Babel. And what is the same phrase that's used there? In in Genesis chapter 11, they say, come, let us build for ourselves a tower that reaches to the heavens. We wanna make a name for ourselves. Do you remember? The same Hebrew phrase, come let us, is exactly what Pharaoh says. And so what's happening here is Exodus is linking again back to Genesis and pointing to the pride and the arrogance of humanity, desiring to exalt itself to the place of God. The other thing that's interesting here that in verse 10 of Exodus chapter one, where Pharaoh says, come let us deal shrewdly with them. Shrewd is actually the Hebrew word used for Joseph's wisdom. It's a Hebrew play on words. When, when uh, Joseph was said to be wise, it's the same word shrewd that's used here. And what's happening? What's, what are we seeing? That actually what Pharaoh is calling wisdom is not wisdom at all. It's actually the same pride and arrogance that was present in Genesis chapter 11. That same pride and arrogance that humans call wisdom is actually not wisdom at all. It's pride and arrogance. And what happened in Genesis chapter 11? God, in response to human pride and arrogance, God brought judgment. What's, what are we being told here? It's coming. It's coming. Pharaoh has set himself in every possible way against God, against his purposes. And one of the themes of of the book of Exodus is the theme of blessing and curse. And blessing is living in alignment with God and his purposes. Curse is stepping outside of that. And so Pharaoh, instead of dealing in kindness with God's people, the same covenant people that God has designed to bring about redemption to the earth, Pharaoh has set himself against God's purposes and his family. Thus, there will be curse. A showdown is being set up. It's clear from Genesis chapter 12 and verse one through three that God tells Abraham that those that bless you, I will bless, and those that curse you, I will curse. And here's Pharaoh thinking that he's dealing in wisdom, but actually in the foolishness of pride and arrogance, he has set himself up to be in showdown with the one true God. James chapter four says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we should humble ourselves 
before God. Now, what does Pharaoh ask for them to build? He says that he wants for them to build store cities. That's in verse 11, that Pharaoh is gonna put harsh labor on the Israelites so that they will build store cities. Now, I thought this was fascinating, that store cities, scholars believe that this, these store cities were actually warehouses, massive structures that would have been built to store supplies for Pharaoh's funerary cult. Now remember that in this cultural context, Pharaoh was not just a man. Pharaoh was worshiped as God. And so what the Pharaohs would do is they would build massive structures and they would fill those structures with items for future cult worship. Because the idea was however, however long you could preserve your riches. So if you stuffed those things full in the, in the affluence of, of your time as a leader, when you were dead, you would be worshiped even after you were dead. And those supplies that were stuffed into those warehouses would be used to worship Pharaoh as God even after he died. Now, why does that matter? Who is it, what hands are building these storehouses for the worship of Pharaoh, the Israelites? But what has God designed for them to build? And we'll see it as they enter the wilderness. God has designed for his people to build what? The tabernacle. Their hands are not to build structures for the worship of humans. Their hands are designed to build a place where the one true God, Yahweh, would dwell with his people, where they would worship their God and be in fellowship with him. So again, what we're seeing here is that Pharaoh is in absolute contradiction to God and his purposes on the earth. He has set himself against God and his people and the stage is set for a showdown. Now, we transition quickly into a story about these Hebrew midwives. In verse 15, it says, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. Now stop for a second. You should stop. All the alarms should be going off. Wait a minute. We don't know Pharaoh, but we know them. The most powerful human being on planet earth does not get named. But these two Hebrew midwives, we go, oh yeah, I know. Here's exactly who they are. one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. He says to them, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the burstool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. Look at verse 17. And maybe you'll start to lock into why we have names. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And I love this. So when the king of Egypt calls the midwives, he says to them, why have you done this? And they go, man, these Hebrew women, when they give birth, they are ferocious. (laughs) 
And like these Egyptian women, like we got plenty of time. When we get there, the Egyptian women got plenty of time. But when these Hebrew women give birth, they are ferocious. It happens fast. It happens before we get there. We just, I don't know what to tell you. That's their response. But it says that they feared God and they did not do as the king commanded. Now remember, we've, what have we just read? We have read about what Pharaoh views as wisdom and we've seen it as an absolute contradiction to what God says is wisdom. He is opposed to God. He is opposed to God's purposes. He's called it wise. He is operating out of fear and pride. And we, we, we're, it's like the writing is on the wall. We can see this massive collision that's coming. Pharaoh is not wise at all, though he thinks that he is. But who is wise? God is wise, but who, is, who, who gets elevated in verse 17? Who gets elevated? These Hebrew midwives, this is wisdom. Wisdom is fearing the Lord. Pharaoh has no name. But, but here we get elevated the names of these Hebrew midwives who instead of bowing to power, instead of going, you know what, I, there's nothing else we can do. We're just gonna get compelled into this thing. They go, you know what, no. Our place is to fear the Lord. And so these two Hebrew midwives, and I just wanna tell you, if you're not tracking here, these are totally insignificant people in the ways in which the world would have looked at them. They have lowly jobs, they're, they're Hebrew women and they're women. And for every single category, they would have been at the lowest of the low in terms of worldly value that would have been given to them. And yet, and yet in the eyes of God, here they are elevated above Pharaoh, the most powerful human being on planet earth. Why? One phrase, because they feared the Lord. And in the face of tremendous power and with massive risk to their own lives and listen, the lives of their families, these women choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. They resist the power of the world, not by raising an army, not by coming to a place of, of position and affluence within the culture. They don't go anywhere outside of where they already are. And yet, they resist the greatest power in the world by fearing the Lord and remaining faithful in the place where all God has already put them. That's a word for somebody. <laughs> Come on. And notice this, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew strong. Hey, and oh, by the way, oh, by the way, God sees it. These totally insignificant, in terms of the world's vision of them, totally insignificant, hidden out in the corners of the world, God sees them when they walk in the fear of the Lord. And oh, by the way, God lends his strength, he protects, and they multiply and grow strong. 
Again, why? Why? They feared the Lord. Now, what a challenge to you and I. What a challenge to you and I who every day, every day, we face hostility from the world and its powers. Just look around. The world and its systems walk in the same pride and arrogance as Pharaoh demanding to be worshiped, demanding to be praised, chasing power at all costs, chasing control at all costs, bringing violence, bringing injustice. This is the way that the systems of the world work and it's happening all around us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at those things, I get overwhelmed, I get hopeless. I can become afraid. But these women, they don't throw up their hands. They don't go, ah, oh, just, we're just midwives. We're just, we have no power. We can't go into Pharaoh's you know, palace or whatever and go, hey, you should really stop this. This is a bad idea. They have, no, they have no way, no way in the context of the position that they've been given by the standards of the world, they have no way to resist, but they don't go, oh, that just means that we're just, we're just have to helplessly go along if Pharaoh said to do it. They don't do anything like what Kendall McDonald did in the seventh grade. You're laughing, it's real. In that moment, I became afraid and I relinquished what I could have done from the position that God had given me. I relinquished that control and just fell in with power. And they could have done the same thing, but instead, instead, they commit the greatest act of defiance simply by walking obediently in the fear of the Lord in the place that God had put them simply by walking obediently in the fear of the Lord in the place where God had put them. As I was reading this, I was reminded of the story in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter four, um, Peter and John have healed a crippled man and it makes a huge stir. And the powers of that day bring them in before the council and they threaten them. They say, stop, stop acting in the name of Jesus. Don't speak or teach at all in his name. That's what power wanted. Don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Be quiet. I love their response. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. That's on you. But we cannot speak but what we have seen and heard. Their response is, you will go to account before God for the things in which you wish for us to do, but our job is to be obedient in the space that we have been given, and our job will be to preach the name of Jesus, whether it costs us our lives or not. Thank you very much. Kids, in your bag, you've got a toothbrush. And I love I loved the kids' bags. If you're a family and you are new with us and you've got little ones, we want kids in the service. I think it's absolutely crucial for their formation to participate in worship with mom and dad. And so we've set it up where we just feel like at, the, at a point that's appropriate age-wise, they come in and are with you. And we've got these kids' bags and they're slammed full of stuff. And there's almost always gonna be something random in your kids' bag. And it is for this purpose. We pull it out every Sunday 
And we try, to, we try to connect the message to what your kids are experiencing. And I have had several kids. There's starting to be a pile of them that are coming in this area. They all come sit over here with us now, which is great. And they confronted me as I came in this morning with this. Why is there a toothbrush in our bag? I didn't see that one coming, man. I didn't see it coming. They're like, we get hounded all the time to brush our teeth. And now it's going to be in church. Now you too, right? I don't know what they're thinking, but they were like, it confronted me with the toothbrush this morning. I want you to pull that toothbrush out. What do, you, what do mom and dad tell you to do all the time with this toothbrush? What do you do twice a day? And there's some three time a dayers in here. And can I just say, chill out, okay? Chill out, all right? Some twice a day toothbrushing, right? We, we brush our teeth twice a day. Now, how many times at the end of the day, maybe you're telling your friend or your parents or your grandparents and they say, what happened today? You know, the daily report, kids, you know, the daily report. We do it at our house, the daily report. How many times in those daily reports do you go, I brushed my teeth today. Some of y'all have to, like some of y'all are still, come on. If that's in the daily report, that means mom and dad are really trying to get you to do that. You need to do that, all right? But most of the time, we don't say, you know what? Right after breakfast, I brush my teeth. Why? Because we see it as a fairly insignificant part of our day, don't we? How many of you brushed your teeth this morning and shared about it in Sunday school? So, you know, that one class is like, I did, it was, I did. We always have that one, there's that one class, I won't tell you. It's fairly insignificant part of our day, right? But what's happening every time you brush your teeth? I'm gonna make this spiritual. We're gonna go deep. You ready? You ready? You are literally pushing back darkness every time you brush your teeth. Is there a dentist in the house? Or do I, Come on. You are, you are literally, every time you brush your teeth, you are literally pushing back death and decay. I'm not lying, you get on, Google it. <laughs> but, but that act is insignificant. You don't go tell anybody about it. It's completely insignificant. But in that most insignificant thing, you are pushing back darkness, you are pushing back decay. You are literally pushing back the things which seek to erode the health of your teeth. And I think so many times where we get caught, y'all good? Was that, I mean, come on, we, we can do it. The gospel can happen in a toothbrush, okay? Listen, listen. I think so many times we get caught in this position of being overwhelmed. And I'm overwhelmed, there's so much darkness. There's so, there's so, there's so much of a push on me to, to, to conform to the ways of the world. And I, I, man, I don't have enough power. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough connections. I can't change things in my community. I can't push back darkness in my classroom. I can't, you know, whatever it is. And we just, we feel so insignificant because we've associated significant acts with pushing back darkness. And what is scripture screaming at us right now? What is scripture screaming at us right here? That, that simple saying no, that simple, you know what? We're gonna walk in the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord would, would cause us instead of killing the male children, the fear of the Lord says to welcome them into the world, to give them a place to thrive and live. This is the stewardship of creation that God who has assigned to us and we are gonna be faithful in the place where we are. 
however insignificant that looked. They didn't do that because they thought this is gonna change the world. But oh my goodness, out of this simple act of defiance is gonna come one who will redeem and one who will lead the people out. Come on. They didn't know about Moses. They didn't know what was coming. They simply served faithfully, walked in the fear of the Lord right where they were. And you have to know, church, we have to grab this message that the kingdom of God advances through small and mostly unseen acts of allegiance to Jesus in a hostile world. But God sees. And the evidence of scripture is in that, that act of defiance, God saw. And I just wanna tell you that the safest place you can live your life is not in seeking the refuge of the world, but walking in the fear of the Lord. And it may cost you everything in terms of the things of the world. But why gain the world and lose your soul? What might it look like for you? What might it look like for us right here in our community in 2023, Nacogdoches County? What might it look like for us to walk in the fear of the Lord in the spaces that we're in? I think maybe I've told you this story before. When you've been around a while, you start repeating stories, so forgive me. But I remember, I remember the first time I saw this in flesh and blood. I remember over, I was a teenager and I overheard a conversation between my mom and dad where my dad was, was clearly distressed about something. I didn't hear the details of the conversation, but he was frustrated, he was, he was distressed. And when I asked him about it, I could tell he didn't know if he was gonna share it with me or not. I don't know, you know, just there was a, there was a tension, but I just go, you know, what's going on? I just heard this conversation, what's going on? Are you okay? It was disturbing to see my dad in a place of, of, of turmoil. And I've, I've learned more details later on. I'm gonna spare you those details, but here's basically what happened. Is that he was getting caught over and over and over again in a, in a tension that was really difficult to resolve. See, he would go on these, these business trips. His work was requiring him to travel and to work and they would go in groups. And oftentimes he would be with those within his organization that were in positions of power. And he explained that after the business day was over, there were often groups that were associated with these people in positions of power that would go out to uh, establishments that would be contrary to the way of Jesus and they would fraternize and hang out and lots of things would occur and lots of relationships would be built, but they would be doing so in a context that was totally unfitting for a Christian man. And so over and over and over again, my dad was saying, no, he said, I'm not gonna go. I'm not, he just stayed in the hotel room, whatever. You know, he just, he just hung out by himself and his frustration and the tension was because the people that were going were getting the promotions. 
The people that were going, the people that were rubbing shoulders with the bosses, the people that were doing so in places that a, that a man who's seeking to honor his wife and his family, seeking to live in the fear of the Lord would not go. Those were the people that were advancing and he was being left behind and he was frustrated by it. But I remember him telling me how important it was that even in the face of opportunity, you cannot compromise who you are. Even when it would be convenient. And he even said, I could even go and quote unquote, not participate. But to go would compromise who I am as a man of God, would compromise my love for your mother, would compromise who I am as your dad. And so I'm going to say no. I'm gonna pass on a promotion to say yes to walking in the fear of the Lord. That story has marked me for a lifetime. Because that's the reality. Nobody sees that, nobody praises that. Nobody goes to the guy that's alone in his hotel room, you know, when everybody else is at and going, man, you're doing a great job. <laughs> the world couldn't care less. But God sees. Where, where is God calling you? In what ways is God calling you to say no to the power and the influence of the world in order to walk in the fear of the Lord? And I can promise you this, that it may feel like saying no is the riskiest and most unwise thing you could do but I can promise you it's the safest, most secure place you can live. The world may chew you up and spit you out, but God sees, God provides. He will preserve you. And we can trust it. And that's exactly what scripture teaches us here in this text. So I wanna invite you to stand for our invitation. And I want to remind you just this simple phrase that the kingdom advances through small, small and mostly unseen acts of allegiance to Jesus. I want to read to you verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. I want you to just take a quick second, take a deep breath and just think about the pressure that maybe exists in your world on a day-to-day -day basis, the pressure to conform to the ways of the world. Just get those kind of in your mind. And those may, be, those may be sources of a lot of fear, of a lot of anxiety. And what, I know there's a lot of pressure there. Many of us exist and there's a lot of pressure. And this morning, my hope would just be that you'd be able to just breathe out and just entrust your life 
to the creator of the universe, to the name that is above every name, to the one who sees you and knows you and says to you that, look, if I clothe the lilies of the field and feed the birds of the air, how much more? How much more for you? And just entrust to the Lord your day in and day out routines and practices and go, God, I'm gonna commit to you. I'm gonna walk in the fear of the Lord. And here's the deal. It's okay to right after that go, and I'm terrified. Would you sustain me? If you need to spend time up here, uh, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you need to pray with somebody in the back, our prayer partners will be back there for you. If you need to just talk with somebody that's next to you, just go, man, would you just pray for me? Uh, Please feel free to do that. I want you to spend time ministering to one another during this time. But God, would you help us? God, would you help us to walk in the fear of the Lord? We know that there's tremendous pressure to conform to the ways of the world. We know that that's a battle we fight day in and day out. Holy Spirit, would you give us strength Would you give us courage? Would you help us to say yes to you in the hidden and secret places of our day-to-day life? And God, would you bless that obedience? And God, in and through it, would you bring about your kingdom? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.